Welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us here on this special edition of Tell Me Your Story. That's right. Uh, we're normally on 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. on Sundays, 1 a.m. Monday mornings, but this is a special broadcast, and we hope you enjoy it. Uh, we hope we're here in this slot for a while, but we're here today, and we're here today with a very special guest who is going to help those of you who are parents. And there is, in a manner of speaking, an element of parenthood in my life with my wife uh, in that uh, we have animals, okay? And I, I've heard all of the discussion about, especially dogs and cats, don't treat them as your children. Too bad, too late. We do, and that's the way it is, uh, and there's nothing you can do about it. But that's okay. Uh, we all have to find our own way. But I think that today's program is going to be good for me as well, uh, even though minor animals, <clears throat> uh, but they're not really. They're very loving. And we're going to talk about raising good humans. It's a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of uh, reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids, which is going to help us in other areas of our lives as well, I do believe, with my guest, Hunter Clark Fields. And uh, there is an MSAE behind that. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm, I'm happy to be here, Richard. Thank you. Uh, I would say that with this kind of a program, and though we normally deal in a lot of the non-physical aspects and attributes of living, um, a lot of times it does start on the inside and works its way out. And I'm wondering about uh, you as a parent. Obviously, you have two young ones, actually not so young anymore, but nonetheless. And you um, had to start somewhere figuring out how to raise these kids uh, from the very beginning. There's no course. I, well, there might be in college as far as there wasn't when I was growing up or my parents growing up. Uh, you basically did what the phrase is. You did the best that you could with what you had. I don't blame my parents for, for anything. I don't hold them responsible for who I am. That's on me these days. I think probably from the day of accountability, but I think that changes with people. So how did you determine that uh, we needed this awareness and understanding of how to raise our children, to raise good humans because we need these good humans throughout our lives. I mean, I came upon that awareness from a very, very personal level because I really needed some help. I was, I was struggling as a young mom. My, uh, you know, I was kind of one of those people like I'm, you know, like an achiever, like I get the good grades and I, you know, go do the things. And I kind of had this idea, and a lot of people have this idea that, oh, I can just decide I'm going to parent this way and just decide to do it. And lo and behold, like as we get into this situation, this incredibly challenging situation where, where you know, where the stress is happening and, and then these patterns that could just arise from our parents. And so my pattern that arose pretty clearly was my father's and his fathers and mothers and so on, their anger. Like I really had a, a, a badass temper that came out <laughs> <laughs> and I could see myself scaring my daughter. And it was exactly what I didn't want. It was exactly mm. what I didn't want. And so, you know, it was, uh, I, had, I had to struggle to figure it out because there were a lot of great people telling a lot of great things, but it was kind of like the advice was kind of like, just say this or just do this and everything will be great. But the problem was that I couldn't implement that advice when I was triggered. And there's like, and I've learned since then, like the biology behind that, what's really happening. But, uh, you know, I realized that like, there's all this wonderful advice out there, but the, that's where what Raising Good Humans does is brings together some of this great skillful communication advice that we've had around since like the 60s and 70s now with um, with mindfulness and self-compassion work to lower our biological reactivity, right? Because that's when we're kind of at our worst. And, yeah. and so I needed it. I needed it desperately. Mm. <laughs> well, now, wait a minute. Uh, I thought Dr. Spock was the uh, end all and be all of uh, of raising kids. 
I've never read Dr. Spock. That's so, yeah, sorry. That's, that's, so, like way... that's so 1950s, Richard. Yeah. That's like my mom. I think my mom read Dr. Spock about me. Mm. I don't know if my parents did. Uh, but what I do know with my family and my parents in particular and their raising of me, which is the only real point of reference that I have, uh, is that, um, again, as I said, they did the best they could with what they had. They yeah. had to deal with four children uh, once we were all born, the four children who had disabilities. I was amongst them. And pretty much we all grew up, even with our, and I, I now call, I have referred to them for over 40 years, perceived limitations. Uh, none of us looked at ourselves like that. At least not for very long. I mean, I had a very brief stint after graduating high school where I said, well, the state is the one that labeled me legally blind. It's not my fault. It's theirs. Da, 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 da. And I finally uh, got out of that. and said, you know, if I'm going to accomplish anything in my life, I better do something. And, and here I am today with you. So do you take the position before you started this learning process that, yeah, I did the best that I could. And I want to dovetail that into your father with your children. How different was he with them or is he with them as opposed to you? Because you're not going to tell your dad, look, I wrote this book called Raising Good Humans, and I need you to read it and follow it because I'm their, I'm their mother yeah. and so on and so forth. How different? <laughs> how different was he? with you as opposed to his, as he is and has been with your, uh, with his grandchildren, your, your daughters. I don't think he's read it yet. Actually. I do love my dad very much. We have a, we have healed our relationship. Right. We had a, we and had a long, yeah. and we're not here bashing your dad. No, don't get no, me wrong. No, 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 no. He was definitely doing the best that he could with mm -hmm. what he had too. You know I mean? And that's the truth about every stage you know, when we know better then we can do better, but we also need to like kind of change those habits of thinking and habits of, of, you know, we, uh, we do a lot of things that be a habit energy, right? Like we do a lot of things because they're familiar. We repeat habits because they're familiar. The brain takes shortcuts. And so when my, you know, my father with my kids, he's, uh, he's really for the first like three to four days he's really different and then around day four or five then he starts to get really sort of grumpy and curmudgeonly and he his temper has come out with my daughter once and i remember it really really brought me back um he hasn't he hasn't done the work to start to to tame his reactivity he hasn't done any of those things, the, the practices that I talk about. And he's um, for a lot of reasons. And um, but we've had some really beautiful conversations. Like I remember when I was when I was actively really like struggling with this and working on this work um, when my daughters were little, I remember him. Ca he came to visit and we had this beautiful conversation where he said, you know, my father beat me with a strap with a belt. And I spanked you. So I did a little better. I didn't get you with the belt. I spanked mm -hmm. you. And you're trying and you're not hitting your kids at all. And I remember thinking, like, yeah, like that is improvement. But for me, like just not hitting my kids was just not enough. You know, I didn't I wanted to, I really wanted to create a relationship where I didn't have to yell and I didn't have to use threats. And that's really where what this work comes in. And a lot of it depends on that connection you have. So if your child feels like strongly connected to you, and this and this also applies in every relationship, by the way, but if you're in a, a, a closer, closely connected relationship, then your child wants to cooperate with you because they care about you. You know, and it's not it's not the problem with using the threats and and the punishments and the spankings and different things like that is that it can, quote unquote, like work in the short term, but it you pay a huge, heavy price for it. And that is that it builds resentment. Anybody who's like being ordered around or threatened is going to feel start to feel resentment to those techniques and it builds and builds and builds. And what it does is it undermines your influence. 
So it undermines that connection, it undermines that desire for your, you know, anyone to want to cooperate with you and help you. Um, so it actually is counterproductive ultimately in the long run and can lead to a really damaged relationship, which is what my relationship was with my father for a long time from like 14 to 24, mm. 27, you know, we had a really, you know, it was a long, many, many years of a very, very difficult relationship. And, yeah. and I want to, I want to change that. I want that generational pattern to stop with me. But this goes even further than your children uh, and their ages presently. This goes beyond that to when they turn 18 and they go out on their own. And they may or may not have families of their own. I chose to have uh, a wife, but I also chose not to have children, not because of anything that my parents did that I didn't want to pass on from a behavioral standpoint, more from a genetic standpoint, that I just didn't. Uh, yes, I made it. And I've, I, I said this <laughs> in front of my parents at one gathering when we were visiting for, a, I don't know if it was Easter or Thanksgiving. And I said, yeah, I made the decision. I, don't, I didn't want to have kids because I didn't want to pass on this uh, genetic thing with the eyes. And my dad says, well, you do realize that if I had made that decision, you wouldn't be here. And I says, yes, dad, I do. I understand that. And that was your choice. And that was the other thing, too. Um, people used to say, my God, your kids, your mother and father had six of you. Oh, they must have sacrificed a lot. I interviewed them on this program years ago. And I asked them that question. And my mother and father both uh, uh, almost unanimously and simultaneously said, no, we sacrificed nothing. Because we wanted a big family. Now, they may not have wanted children with disabilities, but they also knew that was a possibility. But they chose it anyway. And I'm happy they did, obviously, because <laughs> you and I are here having this wonderful conversation. But at the same time, I, I sit there and I go, OK, um, that was my choice. It wasn't my father's. Um, it so far uh, hasn't been my brother's. Now, my sisters, on the other hand, have had children, my eldest uh, uh, two sisters, but their kids don't have, uh, and they're both, uh, they're all girls. Uh, my eldest has a, a daughter and a granddaughter uh, and grandson, which makes my parents great-grandparents and me a great-uncle, which I'm thrilled about. And then my young, a second oldest sister has uh, two daughters, and they're both, uh, they're both fine as far as that's concerned, um, whereas my two younger sisters do not have children of their own. Uh, and that they may have made that same decision. I, you know, I, I never got into it with them about that. I never, we, we never really discussed it. But for me, that was my decision. Did you ever, along the way, even before you found the man who uh, uh, is the husband and the father, did you ever not want to have children, raise them, and so on and so forth? No, I think I always wanted kids. I think I just, uh, I thought I'd wait till I was a little older, but, but yeah, I think I always wanted, I always wanted kids. I had my first daughter when I was 29 and I was really looking forward to it. I was really at that point, I, you know, I had discovered mindfulness. I'd been studying and learning about it for a while and I had started a, a meditation practice, maybe about a year and a half earlier that was steady. And it really was very transformative in my life in that, I'm a highly sensitive kid. I was a highly, I'm a highly sensitive person mm -hmm. and I, I get that from my dad, right? Like I get his, he calls it our artistic nature, right? And, but it's this high sensitivity and, um, and I struggled for a long time with like just kind of falling into pits and lows, like every couple of weeks, every week or two or so for my whole life. And then when I started a mindfulness practice, mindfulness meditation practice, steady one, I, they went away. Those pits and lows that I went into for every week or two for 27 years of my life at that point went away and it, it hasn't come back. And it's not that I don't feel those feelings, but it's just that I don't spiral down into a place that I used to spiral down to. I can interrupt that spiral. And so when I was pregnant with my first daughter, I was like, I can remember being sitting in a group, a, a meditation circle 
uh, with the big pregnant belly and just thinking like, oh yeah, like this is going to be amazing. I'm going to rock this. It's going to be, this child's going to be so peaceful. <laughs> Look at us. We're sitting here meditating. And she, she, of course, it, it inherited my, in my father's highly sensitive nature too. And was a really intense, challenging kid. Wow. <laughs> Yeah. We're going to talk more about mindfulness. We're talking with Hunter Clark Field, and she has written a wonderful book called Raising Good Humans. This is Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I thank you so much for joining us. We are regularly on the air here at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. on Sundays, 1 a.m. Monday mornings. Uh, but this is a special broadcast, and I hope that you enjoy how our conversation as we move forward to talking with Hunter. Um, I want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, specifically about mindfulness. First of all, how did you find out about it? What, and, and when you found out about it, what was it that drew you in to say, this, I need this, this needs to be a part of my life? It's so funny because the way I found out about it was so strange and so weird. Um, <clears throat> my parents had a bunch of books. They were hippies. They had a bunch of books um, of all kinds of different, and they had like those little mini books, you know, those like little small ones. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I used to go this like do this like five mile bike ride after school to my job where I had some free time at this job entering data for a yacht service place. Anyway, so I took this book with me and it was a book of Zen koans. And if you know anything about Zen koans, there are these like inscrutable little poems or sayings that are meant to kind of like wake you up but basically they don't make any sense whatsoever like to the to the thinking mind you know they're like a little strange and, and difficult and that was actually my first book about mindfulness and I was kind of like huh okay but something kept drawing me to it I think I I explored the uh the uh, be here now bookstore in my hometown with the crystals and things like that uh, quite a bit and I uh and I started reading uh, a teacher who eventually I ended up going on many retreats with and things like that, um, the Zen master Thich Nhat Hanh, and he's written like well over 90 books, and he was nominated for the Nobel Peace Prize by Martin Luther King Jr. in the 70s wow. for his peace work with Vietnam. <clears throat> and um, and it, it just was, it made so much sense to me, and it was just so reassuring to understand that like, what we understand, you know, what the teachings are like that life has suffering, like everybody suffers in life. And that was so different from what I learned from our culture, which was, why aren't you happy? There's something wrong with you if you're not happy, <laughs> you know? And I was like, ah, and though, so the, the message was that life has suffering, it's inevitable. And there's a path away from suffering. Like there's, there's a path to follow. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I started reading these books and devouring more and more and more uh, for a good 10 years before then I actually said, was able to sit down and start that practice that I told you about. Now, not to be uh, disrespectful by any means, but are you indoctrinating your children with the mindfulness philosophy? <laughs> I'm or trying my darndest, but they, <laughs> they uh, they're very resistant. When your mom is the mindful mama mentor and has written a book called Raising Good Humans, you're very resistant to uh, these teachings. I, I hear from my students in my mindful parenting course and membership that all the time these like wonderful success stories about them sharing mindfulness practices with their kids and they're so cute and I'm quite jealous because my kids are quite resistant to it. But we've taken them on family mindfulness retreats a number of times um and they love they love i mean you can't help but enjoy that environment where everybody feels so relaxed and peaceful and you're out in the woods and you can run in the creek and you know they may not like i don't know they serve vegan food right but they, they may not be into that but um they really have enjoyed that so i'm kind of hoping uh, I'm I'm hoping for the uh, get it by osmosis method. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that at all. Absolutely not. Uh, and and that's really the best way I've understood it. To teach is to teach by being the example. Uh, because uh, memory wrote and you do this because I said so. Those don't seem to work. <laughs> 
or you follow the Ten Commandments or you're going to hell. <laughs> I just, you know, those kinds of things don't work, being the example. And that's one of the reasons why I, I love this particular phrase that, that I kind of, uh, I don't want to say I coined it, but I, I've used it uh, occasionally, especially when I observe people who are, well, they're just they're just being who they are. And my intuition tells me, okay, I yeah, I want to emulate that or no, I do not. Thank you, teacher, for teaching me whether it's how to behave or how not to behave and so forth, giving them the credit for being the teacher. Do you find that your children, your girls, uh, are teachers to you in spite of their present, uh, shall we call it, um, resistance uh, to to mindfulness, uh, the philosophy that you still are able to learn a, a great deal from them because it seems to me that, uh, you know, the old phrases about uh, out of the mouths of babes and let the children lead you and all those kinds of things uh, are, are, you know, really important. Absolutely. You know, it's interesting because they're all, they're continue to be my teachers and I continue to be a student for sure. Um, you know, we teach, uh, specific communication skills like listening skills and, and, and responding skills in mindful parenting. And they, I practice them constantly and I refine them, you know, with my daughter, um, we had a wonderful experience, uh, last, you know, last week where she was in a difficult time and she came and she, we talked and I was able to reflect back to her and, and this sort of whole onion peeled for her about what was really going on. And I, and I know that's so healing and I'm, and it, I felt so grateful to have that opportunity to have that with her, but definitely they are still my teachers. Actually, they are in the dedication to the book. It says for my teachers, or, I'm sorry, for my daughters who have been amazing teachers, sources of abundant love and joy, miracles of the universe that I'm in awe of. Thank you. Mm. That that's beautiful. That is absolutely beautiful. Uh, you know, once I I move on to writing another book that I <laughs> I've been working on the same book for twenty years, and it ain't a big book either. And we're not talking War and Peace here. Um, I know that there's going to come a book that I'm going to put out that will talk about my life. It, not so much memoirs, but more the experiences that I've had, especially with my family and my parents. Uh, I know your children probably still see you as parents. I'm 60. My dad is 90 this year. My mother, 87. They're still doing well. I kind of communicate with them almost weekly. I call them. They live in Phoenix. I'm here in Santa Barbara. And I don't see them as parents anymore. They're just really good friends. Uh, I am touched sometimes almost to tears when my mother, uh, she'll refer to me, but she won't say, well, Richard, da, da, da. She'll refer to me as son. Hmm. When I first heard that from her, it was kind of weird. And then, and then I thought, no, that's, that's quite endearing, you know? So, um, you know, I just that's just kind of my observations. But I would probably also be dedicating my book to my parents as well as to my siblings. Uh, they've all taught me a great deal. And um, I think one of the other lessons that I have learned, and I'm curious as to you, uh, is that you would not be who you are, where you are right now if it weren't for the thousands of people who have had input and impact on your life. Right. For sure. Yeah. So aside from your daughters and the dedication in the book, Raising Good Humans, um, what other individuals, maybe one or two or three, can you list if, if uh, it'll be appropriate to do so here, who have uh, who have really impacted your life and helped you to become and maintain good human human uh, humanness? <laughs> <laughs> um well one is my mother who's an amazing human being and she uh she showed me through her actions not through direct teaching uh she was a hospice and nurse for many years and she she all but she also took so what one thing she did was she 
went right she went horseback riding she had gave herself horseback riding lessons and half leased a horse for many many years until an injury but you know we were a you know my dad made signs she was a nurse it was not like we had a ton of money for a very expensive thing like this but what she showed me was that her needs mattered she she had she her ability to have a life outside her family to do something that she enjoyed and to and to f- create her own joy and fulfillment uh, in uh, completely in the way that she she needed really mattered and what i see so much in my mindful parenting course and membership and that pe- women are taught so many women are taught this self-sacrificing stuff, which is like drives me bananas. It's crazy (laughs) because it's like so detrimental to not only to mothers, but to children. Because if you have uh, a a mother who's like completely out of resources and is not giving herself any time and space and any of the things that she needs, she's not going to be as good a parent to you. She's Mm. not going to be good as good to anybody. So it's really a detrimental idea but i see it's so pervasive but my mother she did this she she went and did this horseback riding and other things and took care of herself and it wasn't any kind of explicit thing but i realized oh i don't have that that idea that i should be self-sacrificing i don't feel guilty for taking care of myself and and that is especially because of my mother who i really really appreciate i would certainly thank the teacher I mentioned, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, who's been like the most amazing influence um, in my life. And I, I really appreciate his teachings. Um, it, this He has this quote that I, I use often because it just is so meaningful to me that I, I, I really drives the work that I do in a lot of ways. He says, um, when you love someone, the best thing you can offer is your presence. How can you love if you are not there? And it's like, oh, yeah, right? Like, how can you love if you are not there? So when we're always, when we're not in the present moment, when we're not doing, when our mind is somewhere else and our body is some in a different place, we, we miss out on life. You know, we, we miss the only place life is available and the only place our connections with each other are available. And that's so profound to me. And I guess I would also t- thank my husband who's like, you know, he's just, he, a profound, wonderful rock and artist. And he's just very, he believes in me, which is so beautiful. It's such a gift. I'll tell you, that seems to me to be the most important part of all of this. And that is the people that you have around you, those that surround you, if you will. Uh, and in this case, of course, your children and your husband, um, I want to let our listeners know before we move any further here, you're listening to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. This is a special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We're talking uh, with Hunter Clark Field, and we're talking about MindfulMamaMentor.com. That's the website where you can go and find out more about raising good humans. Almost sounds like something that... um, the aliens should be doing is helping to raise because <laughs> it seems as though on some levels and in some quarters, we're not doing a great job um, and we need to do a better job. And maybe the aliens would uh, take note from your book and say, OK, here's how we're going to raise these humans that are these 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 ugly bags of water, as I've heard on some sci fi shows. This is a book about a mindful guide to breaking the Cycle of Reactive Parenting and Raising Kind, con- Confident Kids. Um, I'm curious about your thoughts of some of the old ways of raising children. And I'm not talking about uh, the, the pre-1960s, okay? Now, my parents, yeah, they used a belt on me from time to time. There was some discipline, and I would say that's probably reactive parenting, <laughs> Um, but again, I, you know, I'm, I'm okay. You know, now today that might be considered child abuse. Okay. But it wasn't then it was, you were disciplining your child, trying to get them to mind you. My favorite word, my mother's favorite word for me, Richard, will you please stop being so, um, oh, fastidious, not fastidious. That's not the, that's not the word. Anyway, um, 
And um, then there came along, I think it was in the 70s, maybe it came out of the hippie movement, um, and then maybe it was in the 80s as well, about, oh no, we don't use the word no around our child. I mean, you see this in a lot of comedy shows or, or drama sometimes where the parents are trying to raise this kid so that the child doesn't ever hear the word no because they don't want the child to be damaged by the word no and being told you can't do this and you can't and so on and so It's what we would view today as kind of bizarre. It's like, wait a minute, that's in the English language. There are times when it is no. And there are times when it is maybe. It's kind of like praying to God. Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes the answer is no, and sometimes the answer is maybe. Wait, be patient. Um, what about some of the 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 uh, uh, older, just by virtue of here we are in 2021, some of the older ways that have kind of maybe done some damage? And again, I don't want to go back to the 60s and 50s, but maybe the more modern times with the more freewheeling kinds of parenting styles uh, that have actually turned some of our children into adults who are, they, 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 they behave in an, an entitled way. Mm. Well, it's interesting because raising good humans and what I teach in mindful parenting is about the middle path. <laughs> because both of those that you describe are detrimental to kids. Like authoritarian parenting wherein the parent always wins everything and and it's like that you you learn that whoever has the most power wins right oh yeah they use their their power over you and then you go on and use power over other people in your your life like that's not so helpful and you know there's a lot of studies that show that you know corporal um, punishment is hugely damaging as well as, uh, to kids, et cetera. It's, it's really, and it, and it's just counterproductive also. And then the other side of that, like the other side of the pendulum from that, that permissive parenting, right? Like, oh, we don't say no to our child. Like there are studies that show that that's really damaging to kids too. And that, um, in that kids feel unloved, uncared for when they don't have any boundaries. Um, and, you know, we talked recently about kind of snowplow parents who are like clearing the path and, and we've got kids going, coming into colleges that are like kind of fragile little teacups because they've never had to deal with any problems in their life. Um, so, you know, I think it's really helpful in the way I like to frame it is that the way of looking at things like what we're talking about is how do we resolve conflicts when we have conflicts mm -hmm. and, um, the, that old authoritarian way of resolving conflicts was like the parent always wins. And then the permissive way of resolving conflicts is that the child wins, right? And whoever's on the other side of that kind of feels resentful. So if the child always wins, the parent starts to feel kind of resentful because you've got some entitled kid around, right? And if the parent always wins, the child starts to feel resentful. So this is like the way of approaching conflict where one party's winning and one party's losing. But the, the thing is, it doesn't have to be this win-lose scenario yeah. at all. Like, you don't even need to go there. It, it, so kids definitely need some boundaries. And kids, it's true that kids need some boundaries. And it's true that we say no to kids, like, constantly. Like, if you're in a two-year-old, a typical two-year-old, your whole life is do this, put your shoes on, put your pants on, come over here, go over there, get down from the chair, get up from the chair. You know, like it's like a constant series of commands, yeah. which is frustrating, right? So, so there's a little truth to all of those things. But when we think about resolving conflicts, we have to understand a, that conflicts are totally normal. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that You know, kids have conflicts on average, like uh, siblings have conflicts on average, like once an hour, like that's totally normal. Well, in my family and, with, with the six kids, we never had conflicts. Oh no. I'm sure As my know. nose grows longer and longer and longer. <laughs> <laughs> sure. But the thing is we have to say that when human beings are with each other, we each have needs. And sometimes those needs c conflict right? Mm -hmm. So if we instead say, okay, what are your needs right now? What are my needs right now? And how can we get underneath this sort of layer of whatever that solution is to the, and go to the layer of needs? Like what is the underlying need here? Then you're, there's a lot of ways we can meet all of our needs, right? Yeah. We can be a little bit more productive about it, but it's what's beautiful about this way of 
resolving conflicts based on needs, like not in this like win-lose battle at all, but like, okay, I need something and you need something. Let's figure it out, right? What's beautiful about this is that it teaches kids this amazing lesson, which is so, so powerful and will help them so much when they are in the workforce, when they're 18 and going on, because they will learn instead of the one with the most power always wins, they're going to learn when I'm in a situation with my coworkers or whatever, let's figure out how to get everybody's needs met. Yeah. Which is like, that's what we need in our society, right? Is, yeah. is a, an understanding of we have all got needs and we can work this out. Okay. So with that being said, uh, and I would add to that, that uh, in, in a, uh, agreeing with what you've said to the extent and, and to this example, that a family, uh, parents and children, they're not combatants. They are a team. I mean, my mm -hmm. goodness, when we went on vacations, yeah, we, you know, we would get un, we would get restless because of the long drives and everything. Uh, but, but I tell you what, when we got to our destination, boy, we had a blast, whether it was going to Huntington Beach uh, and then going up to Disneyland, uh, which was the whole point of the vacation or going down to uh, San Diego that my parents rented a, a, an apartment um, on the beach for us for I think it was for a week. Oh, my God, that was so fabulous. And we went down to SeaWorld, and we went this place and that place and the other. We would go up uh, I-17 in, in Arizona up to Flagstaff. I remember when my sister turned 16, my eldest sister, sister turned 16, uh, she wanted to go to, at that time, it was a paper mill. Well, you had to be 16 in order to go. Well, the rest of us, of course, we were not happy with that because we didn't get to go. But we got to play in the forest uh, and so forth. But it was a team. And I would think that your observations might be of our media today, especially movies and television, uh, that uh, not only parents and children have been turned into uh, combatants, if you will. One, is one group is trying to get one up on the other. Or if it's just husband and wife, the husband is kind of the dopey guy, you know, and the wife is the stern, I'm in control kind of thing. And they're always trying to get one up. I mean, I like a man with a plan. Okay, I, th I think it's kind of funny, but I've gotten tired of it because he's always trying to get away with something. And it's supposed to be team. I mean, isn't that really what it comes down to in, in one sense that we're not talking about combatants, we're talking about team members? Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, if we can look at our child or whoever we have a conflict with or, you know, you're trying to get out the door or whatever, you can start to, and you think about bringing in the mindset or the intention of joining with that person to help figure out, to help get to the, resolution you need like that's so different from like you know using leverage against it's um it's it's a really a, a beautiful mindset but yeah we kind of get in this it's weird how we are with kids in our culture like yeah. we talk to them differently we're just rude to kids oh my <laughs> I mean, gosh yes. and we don't even realize it like we just bark orders at them we dismiss their feelings like you know if you had a friend who came to you and said oh man like my my foot is really hurting because I scraped it. You might be like, oh, that sucks, man. I'm sorry, you know? But a kid comes to you and says, oh, my foot hurts because I scraped it. You're like, you're fine. It's okay. You're okay. You know, we dismiss their feelings. We have this whole other language of talking to kids that just is not, like we uh, always say like we want respect right but we don't give it right like how can mm. we how can they learn respectful language if that's not what we're modeling how can they learn to be considerate of us if that's not what we're modeling right if yeah. we, instead we're just kind of barking orders at them all mm -hmm. the time well and and the other aspect of it too and i realize that our children are not pets okay but yes. from my perspective and i shared with you, or you and our listeners that hey i've got animals and yeah they're my kids okay and we have a big 100-pound black king shepherd named Angus. We have five cats and we have five chickens, not to mention the wildlife on the property where we live. And one of the things that I learned many years ago, especially in dealing with the dogs that we had at the time, and I learned this um, from a trainer, he says, yeah, you might get your dog to do these different tricks. Sit, stay. And that's, by the way, the other thing you talk about in terms of commands to your kids. Tell your children, sit, stay. 
roll over, you know. When it comes to our children, or I'm sorry, to, to my pets, okay, my job is not to get them to behave in a particular way. My job, and I, I do actually believe this applies to children, to human children, my job is to figure out why they're behaving the way that they are. Just as you elucidated there just a moment ago about a child scrapes their knee and instead of dismissing it, well, how did that happen? You know, and this is all going on while you are tending to the wound kind of thing uh, to find out and draw out so that maybe somewhere down the road, there's going to be a tough, tough subject that I, I can't go to mom and dad about this. Ah, no, I, I, no, I can't. They start learning. Oh, I can. I can talk to mom and dad about anything, whatever the problem is. Exactly. Yeah. And, and that's the, I talked earlier about that idea of like losing your influence, you know, um, circling back around to my dad and I love him very much. He was very supportive in a lot of ways, but he had zero influence over me when I was a teenager. Mm -hmm. I had some rough teenage years doing some <laughs> bad things that they would never want to know what I was doing. But, they had they had no influence right because yeah. they had used all they had used all that power over me um yeah that's what we want to say like and it's so hard it's so hard to remember in the moment and that's why those practices of lowering our re reactivity mindfulness self-compassion they really really matter and make a huge difference because it's so hard to remember that somebody who's acting badly is feeling badly mm. right so what's going on, right? It's not, and it's usually not about you. <laughs> it's about what's going on for them in their life. It's not personal, you know? Yeah. We're talking with Hunter Clark Field. She has written a book called Raising Good Humans. Uh, and, um, you know, we will be sending this out on a giant um, audio book out into space for the aliens to retrieve and learn from so they can help us to raise ourselves as good humans. We can use all the help we can get, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think so, yeah. This is Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I want you to go to her website, and that is mindfulmamamentor.com. You're a parent to your two daughters. Are you a mentor too? Well, I think you should ask me that question maybe in another 10 to 15 <laughs> years and see what I, the answer is. Okay. We'll find out. <laughs> I think that's for them to say, I suppose. What is a mentor? I mean, as a, or better, better question would be what in your mind, what's the difference between a mentor and a parent and a friend? Because we've heard that before. I just want to be my child's friend. Well, I mean, I guess parent, I think of more, that's like the, our overarching place, right? Like that's our biology. You are, you have parented a child, like, you know, there's uh, that biology. I think if you're, you know, a, a friend, maybe that can come around. Like, that's beautiful that you're friends with your parents now. It's really beautiful. I feel like my mom is now my best friend now mm. in a lot of ways. Um, and a mentor, I mean, I like the idea of the idea of a mentor, like a coach, you know, like our kids are, you know, radically under underdeveloped when they're born. It's just like how the human species is when mm -hmm. we're born. They can't see, they can't, you know, all these things. And, um, and our job is not to make them, you know, we can't, we're not molding anybody, but we can be like a coach, right? We can, we can help them, coach them into understanding like how to handle this very complex world, right? And how to, how to take care of themselves and take care of others within it. Mm. So I think of the word mentor as a similar one to like a coach. As far as combining mentorship with mindfulness and all of the other things you have learned along the way in that regard, can you share with us uh, your present journey? Does your husband participate actively? I mean, obviously, from the way you describe it, he is extremely supportive. There's no question, okay? But... 
does he participate in, let's say, I don't know, if you meditate, if you meditate together, or if that's a sort of a, a solo thing that the two of you uh, do independent of each other? Uh, are there activities that you and he and or your children participate in, not just family night kind of things, but in terms of maybe fostering this, uh, this sort of, I'll call it philosophy, okay, of raising good humans, um, because it seems to me like, as I've shared earlier, this is vital. This is extremely important because it's not just about raising your daughters or our other children as good humans and being good and kind and this and that and the other and giving them the lessons that they need to know to learn. But it's also about preserving and at the same time progressing our civilization forward. Yes, he does do practices with me. I mean, I'm really lucky in that my husband, we met when we were both 20 and our, our first conversation, like we were stuck in a, you know, we, we had been walking along in the same direction from a movie that we had met um, friends with. And then we met each other and we had this conversation in a cold, cold, dark October night. And we started stood outside a parking lot for 45 minutes talking with each other endlessly about things like Buddhism and Taoism that we were both really interested in. He was a philosophy, Eastern philosophy and computer science double major in college. So oh, that wow. tells you a little bit about him. Um, and so he has also always been very interested. He read you know, my first teacher in many ways was Thich Nhat Hanh, and he read Alan Watts quite a lot when he was uh, a young guy. And um, we've gone on retreats, family retreats together. Um, my meditation practice has been more steady over the years, I think just because I need it so much more. <laughs> I'm like not, nat you know, I'm naturally a pretty highly sensitive person. And I, you know, I go, uh, feel things really deeply, right? And he's more steady kind of naturally, but he's lately been very steady in his own meditation practice. He likes to use the um, Waking Up app that Sam Harris created. It's a, it's a really nice app. It's very, uh, very, very not fluffy or woo-woo. So uh, <laughs> very, <laughs> very good for the, maybe, you know, not to not to pigeonhole the men in the audience, but they, they might like that. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's also, he's very, a uh, very thoughtful, very calm, very kind guy and a great dad. Well, that's very cool. And <laughs> and it's it's wonderful to be able to find and have someone in your life that way. Uh, you know, I, I unfortunately, uh, and it wasn't necessarily a conscious thing, uh, but I became aware of that that aspect, if you will, of competitiveness that was being inbred, shall we say, uh, and... I thought, no, this is not right. We're supposed to be, we're a team. And it wasn't because of what my wife was doing. It was because of what I was, my attitude, my perspective. And so now uh, when, I, when I start thinking in that direction, because it takes a while for those thoughts to kind of be uh, turned and changed, when I start going there, I go, wait a minute, hold it. Is that team play or is that individual play? Is that competitive or cooperative? And uh, I'm, I'm wondering if uh, that's one of the techniques that you talk about in your book as far as, um, you know, and not saying that when it's time to discipline the children, okay, uh, you need to have my back. It isn't a question of having your back. It's a question of the two of you being united, but not one going in as good cop, bad cop, as the, as the saying goes. You're, you're raising your children to be good humans. Yes. Um, I think we, I'm really lucky in that my husband and I usually agree. Sometimes we don't. But I do actually have a problem with the, you know, sometimes uh, people feel like, oh, I have to have a united front. And I can't, if my partner believes in like punishments and spankings, like I can't change my ways and do a different thing because that's what he believes. And we have to have this united front. And it's really frustrating actually to me because the truth is like, we don't always agree on the same things. Like even in, even in a relationship like my husband and I is where we're pretty in agreement a lot of the time, we don't always agree on the same things. And the thing is, if you're falsely 
united, if you're like faking, faking that you agree with your partner, your kids have amazing BS meters. They can see right through that. And then they just don't trust you because you're, you're lying to them essentially. And it undermines your relationship. So I don't think that it is a reason to continue doing unskillful practices and, and ways of discipline. And when I think about discipline, um, I think about the word, the root of the word discipline or the root of the word disciple, right? And really it means to teach. And I think that we can think about that. Like it's a, if you're a, if, if you're a disciple, you're learning from somebody and you know, say if someone was a disciple of Jesus, right? They were learning it from him about like the learning by example, learning with the modeling. And then, so to go back to your question about practices that we might have in the home, like in our home, no, our kids don't meditate. <laughs> They're very resistant to that kind of thing. But we start each dinner with a moment of silence and we practice, um, you know, I've, I've asked them, I've every night as they go to bed for many years, what are three things you're grateful for tonight? you know, or where, where do you feel that in your body? You know, if they're feeling something. So there are a lot of practices that are, that we bring in, you know, that, that gratitude practice being something important to start to shift our perspective, right. Um, away from that natural human negativity bias. But, um, but yeah, um, I think I've answered maybe three questions in there. <laughs> Richard. No, that's great. We're talking with Hunter Clark Field, author of Raising Good Humans. And um, I am excited about the fact that we are here with you on this special edition of Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. And you can join us on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. We stream live at those times as well as this time. We are on a podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and many other locations that you are reposting our interviews too. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate that. And not only are we on those two outlets, we are also on YouTube with a video cast where you can watch these interviews, get to know our guests face to face, as it were, including myself. And uh, we hope that you will do that. We also hope <clears throat> that if you can support us financially, we would greatly appreciate that. That's why we have a PayPal account. That is for your security as well as ours. And we also want you to participate in the decade of the perfect vision, the 2020s, where we want you to go within and spend some time quietly, whether it's meditation or otherwise, and listening to that still small voice. To that end, as we come close to the end of our program here with our guest, Hunter Clark Field, whose website is mindfulmamamentor.com. I like that. That's very cool. Although you you do not, at least as I see you here on the, the video, you don't look like a mama, okay? Uh, I think of, uh, I think of uh, uh, the Carol Burnett Show and mama uh, with the gray hair and all of that and talking uh, just really old and what have you, you say. <laughs> I want to ask you, though, about intuition. What role does that play for you? in parenting and if and you can't really speak for your husband but uh speak for your husband what about intuition on on the parts of you and your husband do you teach uh listening to that still small voice if you will or what have you to your children that hey that gut feeling or whatever oh yeah for sure we definitely teach about listening to your gut feeling and he makes um music and i think he's very intuitive in his music making it's very um it's actually, um, what's it called when it's not pre-planned? It's, uh, <laughs> I'm like forgetting the word. Spontaneous? Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's impromptu. Impromptu, uh, oh, there you go. Jazz, uh, improv, that's the word. Oh, I mean. there you go. Okay, improv. So he's very intuitive in those ways. And we've certainly talked to our daughters about listening to their gut. I think that a lot of us were kind of taught not to pay attention to our bodies and our body's messages. Um, so I think that's really, really important to start to pay attention to our body's messages and to be come come to our senses, right? Quite literally. Um, and I guess as you speak about tuition in that small voice, I also know that the human species uh, is wired for survival, and so we have a natural. Um, 
negativity bias and we have a natural tendency to notice the problems and the things that are wrong and a, a natural tendency to look for threats, right? In, the, in, in our environment. So some of us tend to have a voice and most of us tend to have a voice that you know, sees, a sees the, like, the negative more than the positive. So I also, as we talk about that inner voice, I guess I would warn that sometimes the inner voice and our thoughts, our thoughts are just thoughts. They're not reality. They're just stories that our brain is making up, you know, and sometimes those thoughts are helpful and sometimes those thoughts are not so helpful, right? So I think it's also really helpful to um, get a little objectivity and a little check on your thoughts and know that just because you have a thought, it doesn't mean it's true. doesn't mean you have to believe it or act on it right away. Instead, we can start to look at them and, and, and observe them more objectively. Well, I know that it has been said that the things that we worry about, i.e. thoughts, 90% 90, 90 or more of them do not happen. And yet we live our lives as if they do. And that is, that is an issue that we have to take up for another program. Uh, before we wrap up here, first of all, let me thank you for giving us so much time here on the program, for sharing uh, your story and the information that you have, your family, your father in particular, as well as your mother and husband. Uh, you know, I've, I've been through enough personal growth and development programs over my years. I know better than to ask you to tell me about your husband's experience or your father's experience or your mother, because even if you knew it's not your place to tell us, uh, it's only your place to tell us of your experiences of your mother, your father, and so forth and so on. Uh, so I thank you for sharing what you have, uh, because it, 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 it goes a long way, I'll be honest with you, it does, to help us to understand who we are and where we're coming from. I have three final questions I'd like to ask you before we wrap up this program. But before I do, I would like to thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, both at richarddugan.com, streaming live uh, at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. Monday mo Sunday mornings and evenings, and uh, also uh, Monday mornings at 1 a.m., as well as this special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We also hope that you will uh, go to our podcasts, which are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, and other locations you folks are reposting for to uh, repost our interviews. And thank you for doing that. If you can support us financially, we would be greatly appreciative. If you can, uh, we have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours. Any amount is uh, welcome. We will take energetic support, okay? Um, we're picky and we're not picky, okay? Uh, but uh, we thank you for supporting us just by listening and sharing this information with, uh, with people you know. Also, go to YouTube. YouTube is where the video casts are, and you can watch the entire interview. Uh, we didn't broadcast the whole thing on radio for the special edition, uh, but it is uh, fully available on uh, the podcasts as well as the video casts. And then please participate in 2020, the year of perfect vision. That was last year, but now it's the decade of perfect vision, the 2020s. Nine years, and we're getting close to eight and a half now, but be that as it may, we'll continue it on into 3030, but I have 2030, but I have no idea what the slogan will be. So we'll figure that one out when we get there. Take that time, go within, meditate, pray. Be still, be quiet, listen to that still small voice, find that peaceful, quiet space within you. Uh, if, especially if you're a parent with, say, with rambunctious kids, you need to do that to recenter and refocus and re-energize as well. And who knows, maybe you can get your kids to do that. I know that our guest, the Hunter, is is working on it, and I have a feeling she's going to be successful because I think, Hunter, I think it is true that we will teach by example, by what we do, uh, and um, uh, you're doing that. And I, I think that when it when it comes to them getting older and looking back, they're going to go, "Yeah, that was really cool what Mom did. I'm gonna I'm gonna try that," you know. And maybe they'll pick up a copy of your book, Raising Good Humans. Available through, of course, Amazon and all the other outlets, as well as on your website, which is MindfulMamaMentor.com. I like that. M-M-M. MindfulMamaMentor.com. Before we let you go, three final questions. And I thank you so much for giving us so much time. 
First of those is, who is Hunter Clark Field? Hunter Clark Fields is the name people call me, but uh, I am much more than that, right? Like as we all are, like we're more than an identity and a name. But um, but yeah, Hunter is the name they call me. <laughs> okay. Second question is, uh, what is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you're doing now? I would, I'm really excited to bring this work to more of the world. I'm doing a mindful parenting teacher training right now. And I'm, I have people in, in Australia and, and, uh, uh, they're everywhere, Sweden and, (laughs) and all around. And and I really want to just transform. I want to start to transform the way we parent and to heal those, heal those patterns so that we can just have a generation of kids who are just more grounded, happier, healthier, comfortable in their skin and have good relationships with their families. Couldn't agree with you more on that one. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Oh, it's to do this work. Absolutely. Well, very good. Hunter, thank you so much. Hunter Clark Fields for joining us here on the program, sharing with us Raising Good Humans here on Tell Me Your Story. Go to Mindful Mama mentor.com we will be linked to your website uh, hunter so that people can continue their evolutionary process and again we thank you so much for joining us here on the program thank you so much richard I, it's been real pleasure i've really enjoyed it and we thank you for listening and watching tell me your story new paradigms for a new world we are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true until our next broadcast podcast video cast Love to lol.